good Sunday so far, hasn't it? I know, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, so no need for you to preach. Just go home, right? <laughs> All right, no, that's okay. Hey, you know, before we get started, let's give a round of applause and recognition to some individuals here in the church, okay? Because we love doing that. We love expressing gratitude and appreciation towards others. And one group I think that needs it and that deserves it, in fact, is our youth leaders, our relentless leaders. And here's why. Because in the COVID season, we kind of had to like throw every playbook out the window. We had to reinvent a little bit of how we had to do youth group. We did online stuff. You know, our youth leaders were constantly trying to keep in touch with our kids. We had to be creative. We did parades, which was actually kind of cool that we did that one. All right. And so this was a difficult season, but we have tried to do our best to still connect with our students, to teach them to love God and love people in this time frame, and to remember how faithful and how good our Jesus is. So let's give them a round of applause for that effort. Now, as you guys know, we have kind of kicked off not only a brand new series, but kind of like a theme for the entire summer, that we're talking about the storms in life. And when we say storms in life, we mean those tragic, out of nowhere, it's a beautiful day, and then boom, something happens, and it completely rocks your world kind of moments, like those, those crises, those tragedies that we will all face in life, That's it expected that we're going to have these moments that our world is just rocked to its foundation, that we might have had a plan for our life, and all of a sudden that plan has completely changed because some event that happens, and maybe it changes our life for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, or maybe for the rest of our life, our life will never be the same because of this moment, okay? And so we're talking about these storms that just come out of nowhere in life. And so last week, we're kind of kicked off this short little mini-series talking about how we can prepare in advance for these moments because we know that they're coming, right? Because we've all faced them. You know, I heard a, a research uh, poll that said about every 10 years you face one. Unless you're in my family, then it's about every two years you're going to face one of these life-altering events. So they're coming, so we need to talk about how we can prepare for them. And the first thing we talked about last week is that God has put us in this cosmic, groundbreaking, barrier-crushing, sin-defeating, devil-stomping new community that we just call the church for short, all right? Like, it'd be awesome if we just had a banner that said, here's who we are, okay? But we just call the church for short, all right? And this church is a wonderful gift that God has given us to remind us that we are not alone. Because it's so easy when the storm happens to feel isolated, to feel alone. And we are reminded every time we gather together that we are not alone, but that we have people that we can belong to, people that who are there for us in the good times and the bad, shoulders to lean upon. There's a reason why God did not just immediately pull you up to heaven, but you are now in the community with others who believe the same way you do, who share the same faith in Jesus, and we trust one another. Another, we lean upon one another. There's sympathy and affection for one another in this new community, and it is a wonderful gift which God has given us to weather the storms in life. The second lesson on how we can prepare in advance so that when the storms hit, we're on the best foot is to remember that when the storms hit, that is a time to remember to love one another. Now, why is that important? Because when tragedy comes in our life, what happens when people get hurt? They hurt someone else. 
Like misery loves company. You've ever heard that phrase? That's what happens when someone gets hurt, when they start to feel isolated. They then start attacking others. They then start lashing out at others. They then start hurting others. And they go into this state of being kind of self-centered and self-focused. And if we're not careful, when the tragedies come in our life, we can easily step back into that place. And so we're kind of talking about how do we prevent this from happening? How do we move into a new space where we can look at Jesus and be like Jesus? Because this is a crucial element throughout all of Scripture, okay? You look at Paul, and Paul is very big on trying to get us to understand that when Christ died for us, and you accept it, and you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I'm all about that life, I'm going with Jesus forward and stuff like that, that not only changes who you are and how you relate to God, but that also affects every aspect of your life. It affects how you live your life because Jesus is now in your life. And Paul has stressed this all over the New Testament. One prime example is in the book of Philippians, which is where we're going to be at this morning in Philippians chapter 2. If you would have a Bible and like to turn there. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Okay, so Paul kind of starts off with like these rhetorical questions, okay? So he's kind of saying this community, this new community full of new human beings that God has created, okay, that we call the church, right? That in this new community, it's special because we are encouraged by Christ, Okay, we have God's love. We're, we're comforted by the knowledge that God loves us. Okay, the Holy Spirit, the force which God used to mold the world, is in our midst. It's in our gathering. And then when we look at one another, that there is affection, that there's sympathy, that we're able to look at one another and say, "This is my family. Those are my brothers and sisters." And so Paul's saying, because these things are true, this is going to shape who you are going forward. This is something that you can lean upon when the storms of life hit. And let me tell you why that's encouraging. Because the original audience, the original Philippians, when they're hearing this, are living in a very difficult place to be Christians. You see, their culture, if you've ever been in English class and had to study Shakespeare and study Julius Caesar, you know this, okay? Philippi, that city, state, country, whatever it was, okay, had this history of defending the Roman Empire. Like these people were so excited, so proud to be Roman citizens. They had this huge story of we are the ones who saved the Roman Empire. Which makes it kind of awkward if you're a Christian because you're going around saying, hey, I know all of you guys are worshiping Caesar and the fact that you're Roman citizen, um, but we worship the guy that Caesar killed and we still think he's greater than Caesar. Like that's going to make things a little awkward, right? Like when you're having a dinner party with your family and they're all like, yeah, go Rome, go Rome. And you're just like, I, I like Jesus better. Um, I think he's a little bit stronger and a little bit better. I, I'm just saying, you know, that's going to make things a little uncomfortable. And it'd be kind of difficult to live in that state unless you were encouraged by Christ. You were comforted by God's love. You knew that the Holy Spirit was in your life and in your midst. And that you had people in your life who could help you 
who were there for you, who you had affection and sympathy for, that you looked at and you're like, this is my family, this is my posse, this is my, my gang, my, my crew, okay? Unless you had these things, this would be very difficult to live in this kind of setting, knowing that, that you, people look at you and you're like, that, that person over there is weird. We're going to avoid them. We're not going to do business with them. But Christ has given us something beautiful. And Paul's reminding us of the encouragement. Paul's reminding us of what this community is about, these four things, okay? And he's stressing, saying, because these four things are true, have the same mind, meaning have the same attitude, be about the same values, be heading in the same direction of understanding who you are now in Christ and how that affects the rest of the way you live your life. He stresses this more in the very next verse, if we jump to verse 3 now. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, we've talked about humility a few times here, right? In fact, in the last series we did, uh, the We the Kingdom, when we were looking at the Beatitudes, we looked at humility in two aspects, okay? Remember the first aspect was you and God, which is basically saying, God, I am a hot mess. I need some help. This is all just hitting the fan right now. That's the first humility, that you are recognizing that you need God in your life, that you cannot be the, the king and the hero of your life because everything is just falling apart. That's the first humility of being able to say, God, you're the hero. Please be the hero of my life. And the second humility we looked at, if you recall, was about the word meekness. Remember, we talked that meekness is like not thinking so highly of yourself, but living your life wanting to uplift those around you. That you look around at those around you, you're like, that person matters more than me just because of Christ in me, and I want to uplift this person. I want to see this person go far in life. That's the first sign of humility. It's not that you think bad about yourself, it's that you know who you are, and therefore you live trying to encourage one another. In the ancient world, and I would say even today, humble people are considered weak. Like, humility is not an attractive quality in our world, it never has been. But according to the Bible, humble people are God's people, because they have moved away from selfishness to selflessness. See, Paul elaborates more in verse 4, explaining what this humility is like. He says in verse 4, he said, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, humility is about seeking what's best for others. Now, this does not mean that you're just like always putting too much weight upon yourself. Okay, that means that you still are taking care of yourself. You know, self-care that we talk about, okay? Because self-care is crucial for humility. Self-care is saying, hey, sometimes I need a break. Sometimes I need to just relax, take a nap, go fishing, or do something to take care of myself. This doesn't mean that you're selfish. It means that you understand your limits. Because even God rested after creation, right? So self-care is nothing more than saying, I'm helping to take care of myself so that I can help take care of others. See, if we just all do self-care nonstop, but we don't understand that this is about fueling ourselves so that we can take care of someone else, then we've got something warped, okay? Because humility involves self-care. Humility means I have limits, I need to recharge so that I can come back and help you and serve you and uplift you in a stronger way. See, humility is not thinking of yourself uh, or thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? So humility, like think of it the opposite. Pride, pride is like, look at me, look at me. I'm awesome. I'm doing all these great things, okay? That's pride. Humility is 
thinking of yourself less so that you can think of others more on how you can serve them, on how you can uplift them. See, he's talking about a, a force which is in our world, the possibility of us being selfless because the greatest thing for a community that is like, hey, you're encouraged by Christ and you're comforted by God's love and you have the Holy Spirit among you and you have affection for one another, the greatest thing that would create disunity in that would be selfishness. If you're understanding what we're talking about, we're not just talking about how we operate with one another, we're also talking about how we save our marriages. And how we save the relationships with our parents or kids and what we're talking about this morning. The the scope of what we're talking about is not even just how we survive the storms that are coming ahead, but how we can get to a better place in our relationships. Because all relationships, if you think about it, suffer and struggle because of selfishness. See, I never thought I was a selfish person until I got married. Boy, was I surprised to discover the truth. Like, how many of you have been married and all that? You can think, yeah, I, did, I thought I was a nice person until I got married and I realized I was a selfish person sometimes. Like, who can be honest about that, right? Okay, I see a few. Okay, we're good. Okay. All right, so good to know I'm not the only one, all right? This is our human nature. Our human nature from early on is to think about ourselves. And so it's uh, uh, always surprising when we take two selfish people who are trained at an early age to think about their pursuits and their ambitions and their desires beyond anyone else, and then we mash that with someone else, and then we call it happily ever after. (laughs) Okay, I imagine many of you can think back to the first few years of your marriage and imagine and remember all the crazy arguments you used to have, okay? Believe me, I understand them. We've had some crazy arguments in our own life because me and my wife, we're both naturally selfish People. That's the way we operate, and we're trying to learn not to be selfish, but to move into a place where we are selfless. This is about the survival of our marriages and the survival of all of our relationships, of moving away from what we once were, because now we're part of a new community, and now we're part of a new story, one where we are encouraged by Christ, comforted by God's love. We have the Holy Spirit participating among us, because there's affection and sympathy with each other. But selfishness can still happen here. And it could be the wedge that drives a disunity factor among us. And so Paul knows that when he's talking to the church and stuff like that. He knows that this could happen. So he's encouraging them to have a completely different mindset. And when we read the next verse, he's like, here's the solution on how you can prevent all that thing from happening. Okay, It's in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves. Meaning, have this attitude, this outlook on life among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. See, this is the character of our God on display. That the God who John would say is the, who was the word and was with God and was God has now taken on flesh to be among us. I don't think we fully understand the gravity of that statement because we're talking about a God who had everything, who had all the comforts and security and rights that we could ever want and said, I'm going to remove myself from all of this because I love these people and I want to be among them. 
This is the character of our God on display. So he gave up comforts. He gave up his rights. He gave up his security so he could be among us so that we can know him. Like that is radical for our world today because our world today, all we hear talking about on the media or social media or from conversations with one another is that life is all about acquiring your comforts and your rights and your possessions and your treasures and your securities. And we worship a God who says, I did away with all that so I could have you. What a statement that makes for how we should live with each other. Of are we more concerned with all these other things, or are we more concerned with I'm all right giving rid of these things or moving myself away from these things if it frees me to love you? That's a challenging statement. That this is the God we serve. That he gave up everything. And he came to our world not as this big king, all flashy, strutting around, but came as a servant. One who washed the feet of fishermen. Who took care of those with infectious diseases. Who associated with the social outcasts of his community. And that he, most of all, suffered for us. This is how low our God went to love us. So countercultural for our world today. When everything's about, hey, let's rise up and let's get more in this world. And our God that we worship removed himself from that. Went lower so that he could love us. So that he could be with us. And he's our model. But this was not even low enough for our God. The God who was master of the universe, who gave up everything to be with us, who took on limitations, who took on our humanity. This was not low enough for him. For Paul goes on to say in the next verse, he says in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even more than what he's done. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. See, becoming human in our servant wasn't low enough for him. There was a lower standard which God had to go, this greater humility in which he wanted to show us to love us, to free us from our sins, to give us hope, and to bring us back to who we were always meant to be. It was the form of the cross that he took because he loved us. And he set an example for us. So that in dark days, we can remember what it means to love one another. It means that even if we might lose everything, we can still love one another. We can still put others before ourselves because this was the model in which Christ gave us by putting us before himself. Because of what he could gain by losing everything was worth losing all those things. And we're reminded of that in verse 9 where we see where Paul kind of talks about the, the great God who became love for us so that he could show what it means to give self-sacrificing love to people like us, we see what is the result in verse 9, which says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And thus, we see what all of our lives are about. This is where your story is leading because we're all part of this story. If we gather together, 
and we give testimony to this, if we say with our lives, this is something that matters more than me, this is something I'm about, I'm pointing back to Jesus, if we have that courage, then we're saying that our story is tied up in this. So you might be asking sometimes, where is my life heading? It's heading to right here. To the day where one day every knee will bow and every name will give glory to Jesus because he's the name that is above every name and we will either do it with joyous praise or resentful surrender. I don't know about you, I want to live with joyous praise where I can say on that day, my story, my life was about this story as well. Then every conversation, every relationship, everywhere I went was about this story of one day seeing every name bow, every knee bow before the name of Jesus. What a life that would be. Not wasted. A life with purpose. And for someone who says, I love Jesus, I love God, I love people, this is where your story is heading. It's not mindless. It might be a fog and a haze right now, and you're like, I don't know where my life is leading. This is the end result. This is the finish line. And we can live like that today. When we choose to live humble lives, when we choose to live selfless lives in the midst of a world that says that you should be thinking about yourself and we say, no, I want to think about others because Christ thought about me and therefore he is in my life and I want to set a good example by loving others and thinking about them first. Because when God's people live like Christ, they show the world who our God is. When God's people live like Christ, They show who God is. And who our God is, is one who loves us, who put us before himself, and set a model for us to to exemplify that we could be just like that. That though this world might be saying, you must be thinking totally about yourself, you must be carving out your own little kingdom and defending it from everyone else, and everyone's only your ally or your opponent. It's one of those two things. That's how you should view everybody. We can stop and say, no, everyone we meet is someone we can serve and we can love, even in the storms of life. And let's get this settled before the storm of life comes so that when the storm hits, we can continue on forward with loving God and loving people of seeing that others value more than ourselves. This is the key to saving our relationships. This is the key to having any relationship not just survive, but thrive. Marriages that are in a competition of see who can put the other person before themselves, thrive. But when a marriage and any person in a marriage starts thinking, this is about me, then things start cracking and breaking. Any relationship is like that. If we live longing to see the other person exceed and longing to see them go far in life and longing to just to serve them because we know it gives glory to Christ, then we've done our jobs. Because Christ is our model. Christ, after all, is the one who instead of empty glory, emptied himself. And in the same way, instead of pursuing our own glory and agenda, why not commit our lives to pouring into the lives of others? Instead of selfish ambition, Christ took the form of a slave. And in the same way, we can and in fact are called to resemble Christ by looking to serve one another, not from selfishness or manipulation of trying to get what we want, 
but because we genuinely love one another. Instead of selfishly clinging to his equality with God, Christ humbled himself in, considering, in consideration of humanity's great need for redemption. And in the same way, we are called to be humble in considering the needs of others ahead of our own. So if that means that we must change our ways, our thoughts, our schedules, our programs in order to love one another, then we do that. And then finally, as, as a human being, Christ humbled himself and did all he did for God's glory. And in the same way, when we humble ourselves before God and others, we too give glory to God, which is what your life is supposed to be about, of giving glory to God. And so when you live like Christ, you show the world who your God is. Let me say this is, this is why in this past season, we as an eldership decided that we were going to close down the church for 10 weeks, and we went to an online format. It was not a fun decision. It's not a decision that any of us want to make. It was rather discomforting. But we made that because we love you guys, and we wanted what was best for you guys, and so we made these decisions. It's the same way with this building, that we, have been, we would like to move forward with this. We would like to call this place home because we think this is the betterment for all of us. And this is the motto of when we're, as leaders, we're making decisions, we're always thinking what is best for us as a whole so that we can live like that individually with one another. Like this would completely change all of our relationships. If we, instead of when we got up and thought, here's the things I want to do today, here's the things I want to accomplish with my life, we stop and say, there's this person, you know, I'm sharing a bed with, my, my spouse. Or there's these kids in the house. There's a, a parent in the house. What if I live today wanting to serve them, wanting to uplift them, wanting to see them become who they were supposed to be, which also involves telling them the story of Jesus, making sure that they know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and be part of his family? What if we live like that? Because that's what Christ did for us. Never asked anything in return other than that we would love him in return and obey him when he says, love God and love people. Because he's our model. He, he's our guide. He, he's our instructor. He is most of all, he is our God. And we show the world who our God is when we live like Christ. So won't you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Just for the example of Christ. That you didn't remain distant and away from us, but you took on flesh. You came into our world to, to know us, to be our, not just our buddy, but our Lord and our Savior, Father. That you came to, to show us the way, that you came to bring us back to who we were always meant to be all along. And we know that we, we are part of that journey by our faith in you and believing that you matter more than us. And believing that you died for our sins and that you rose again, we know that we are part of this story of the finish line that's coming ahead. And we know we give testimony to it every time we put someone above ourselves. We know we give testimony to this every time we love you and love others in the way that you have loved us. Father, I ask, just like Paul asked, for that to be the testimony of our church. 
that people would know in our community. Those are the people who put others before themselves. Those are the people who love God and love people so extraordinarily. We want to be among them because they are a place of refuge. They are a place of hope. A place where you can belong. Thank you for how you've made us that way. And I ask for more of that, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.